I think I want to add to that because um, just something that I've been aware of that sometimes what we're facing wears us down. And we need to be, uh, the Bible says when we meet together, we need to encourage one another. And I think that's so important to be encouraged by what God is doing because there's some great stories of what, what the Lord is doing. And I mean, just for me, the fact that, um, you know, we've been involved with um, assisting the Rari Baptist Church to build their buildings, and we had a certain amount of money, which I think was only about a third of what we needed, and uh, you always sort of sit there and say, okay, so where to now? And then suddenly God provides, uh, there's provision from a building site, they're demolishing the building, they give us the roof sheeting, they give us all of the, uh, uh, the beams for the roof. They give us all the fittings inside. They give us all the glass inside. They delivered a whole two-year-old kitchen to Lavender Hill to kit out their kitchen. Uh, just the glass. It's, it's, it's the other side of that wall. There's 100,000 rands worth of glass that was given to us. And so this is God just, you step out in faith and you don't know, and then you see the Lord's provision. And you know, it, it's so exciting just to see things like that beginning to happen. So... That's a good launch to the sermon. So you'll see that the, the title, Lessons Every Disciple of Jesus Must Learn. I want to talk a little bit about the learning part of that. Um, and, and, and the reason I want to talk about the learning part of discipleship is I've realized that we are living in such an instant society that there's almost an expectation that comes to people that something is going to happen like overnight. Pray for the person, let them be filled with the Spirit, and tomorrow morning it's all going to happen. Now, part of that is true, but there is a learning curve every single one of us needs to go through on that journey. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning, because every single one of you and everything you are doing are going through a learning curve. Suddenly when it comes to the kingdom, the learning curve stops, and that's actually not true. So when we get to Mark's gospel that we're going to be looking at this morning, there are a couple of lessons that I want us to talk about that Jesus taught his disciples. The interesting thing about those lessons is some of, them, some of those lessons came about in a situation where the disciples were failing. And, and, and I want to share that with you today because sometimes we, we want to be obedient to God and we step out in faith and we do what God is saying to us and it all goes pear-shaped and we throw in the towel and say it doesn't work. Instead of, hey, this is a great opportunity to learn some stuff that we need to learn. So let's have a look at the, the, the three points we're going to look at. There are three lessons. Number one, easy one, rely on the Lord until you try and do it. Number two, Humility and servitude are the true signs of greatness in the kingdom. Lesson number three, have a radical approach to sin in our own lives. So let's have a look at those three this morning. The first one is learning to rely on the Lord. Now I want to start off by, by talking about that for a minute. Um, I talk about it in the context of what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Jesus didn't command his disciples to just be nice people. Jesus didn't command his disciples to sing songs in the church. 
Jesus didn't command his disciples to just be wonderful, easygoing people. I'll tell you what Jesus commanded his disciples to do. He said, I want you to go out there and I want you to proclaim a message that's radical. He said, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to drive out demons. And I want you to cleanse lepers. That's the mission. Now, if we're going to talk about relying on the Lord and relying to be nice people, that's pretty easy to do. But if we're going to be doing the things that Jesus called us to do, that's a whole new space and a whole new challenge. And I don't know if you've ever been and tried to do some of the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. And by the way, if any of you have any doubts about whether what I'm saying is true, let me assure you, Jesus said to his disciples, you all know Matthew 28, go and make disciples of the nations and what must you do? Teach them to obey Everything I have commanded you. These were the things that Jesus was teaching his disciples to do. He said, I want you to go out and I need you to make disciples like I've made disciples of you. And so I, I don't know about you, but I've certainly had experiences where I've tried to go and do the stuff that Jesus has spoken about. And I don't know if you can, have you been like me where you've tried and stepped out in faith and it didn't work. Have you ever happened to anybody here this morning? Well, some of you have been obedient, so you know what I'm talking about. We've tried it, and it didn't kind of work the way that we thought it was going to work. Well, you know, it's interesting that Jesus has been on the mountain of transfiguration. If you were here last week, we were looking at Jesus, is, is, is glorified in the presence of James and Peter and John. They see the true glory of Jesus uh, on the mountain, and then Jesus comes down the mountain. Here's the rest of his disciples, like they're in this massive predicament. There's a, there's a man that's brought his son, and he was looking for Jesus, didn't find Jesus because he was on the mountain, so found the rest of the disciples, and he said, I want you to help me. My son has got a demon, and I need you to drive the demon out. And Jesus arrives, and here's this bunch of disciples, and they haven't been able to drive out a demon. So that's where, where we pick up in, in, in uh, Mark's gospel. And uh, the man says, teacher, I brought you my son. And he's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of his speech. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And so Jesus, this man comes to Jesus and, and says, Lord, can you help me? And Jesus said, of course I can help you. And Jesus, he commands this, this deaf and mute spirit to come out. Then we've got it in verse 25. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again, you deaf and mute spirit. And then later on, the disciples come to Jesus. There's that private moment, you know, Lord, why can we do it? Isn't that the question we all got? Lord, why, why, why couldn't we do it? And, uh, and then Jesus answers their question, and I want to land on this and speak about it for a minute. Jesus lands on this, and he says, all ministry that's done needs to be done in total dependence on the Lord. And I'm sharing that with you today because I think as a generation, that is our struggle. We have learned to rely on our own resources. We have learned to rely on other things, and we're not even aware of the fact that sometimes we have lost the capacity and the ability to totally rely on the Lord. 
And that's part of our growing experience. It's got to be part of our, our growing experience. And Jesus fundamentally, listen to what he says, this can't come out only by, let's try that again. This can't come out only by, okay. What was Jesus saying? That when there is ministry taking place, prayer always makes a difference. Prayer always makes a difference. Prayer always makes a difference. Shall I say it again? Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul wrote. Being watchful and thankful. Now, what I'd like to do is show you a little video clip. Some of you know Francis Chan. Put up your hand if you do. Okay. Some of you have watched him. So, this is a little experience uh, that Francis Chan shares about. He's on a panel discussion. Uh, it's him, there's John Piper and two other guys. And they're talking about, they're being interviewed about this whole thing of miracles and driving out demons, all of these kind of things that we're talking about this morning because those are the things Jesus speaks about his disciples doing. So I want you to listen to his story and what happened to him after 30 years of ministry. Thanks, Hennett. And... But here's what really happened. Make that nice and loud, please. I was with a group of people who had a different view of healing than some of what we're saying here. Um, brothers and sisters in Christ, I love them. I love their love for Jesus. Their theology is just a little different from mine. And there is a little bit, uh, a lot more of claiming where they just say they believe that they can heal any time. And that we're just not, we don't have the faith and there's not the persistence. And I'm uneasy with that. And they, they challenged and said, look at the book of Acts. How many times was it really a prayer or was there just an assurance? Which can go with what Sam is saying, that those gifts of healings, you know, at that moment and those prayers of faith at that moment, like they just knew. I can't sort it all out. All I know is at one point, and this is coming from a guy who in 30 years of ministry, I don't think I've ever really healed anyone. Okay, like and, and, and even at this last time, it was the night before the elders, someone called for the elders to heal. One of our pastors called for the elders and we went over. I'm like, man, here is a group of men of faith. I love my elders. These are the godliest men I know. I trust them. So we went over like a gang, like we're going to do this thing, you know, and there was a trust. There's a faith. You know, we're going through your book on spiritual gifts. So we got this, you know, and praying with this confidence and he wasn't healed and I go man there I go again Lord I never get to see it well on Saturday um, after the all-night prayer all day you know that 13 14 hours of prayer the day before one of our um, but but it, it, last weekend all sorts of people got healed in our church and this is new to me this is new. I can think of maybe two or three people in my lifetime. And so I, I would get probably about 10 at least that I know of in one weekend. And when they were praying for one of our pastor's wives, Karima, she had a broken toe. 
You know how it feels when you have a broken toe and you can't even put your shoe on. We were actually praying for a husband who didn't get healed. That was the pastor. And then as we're praying for him again the next day, she says, you know what, can you pray for my toe also? I know it's a small thing, but I broke it. You know, we just had a baby, and I, I, I could barely put my shoe on this morning. And so that group prayed in faith, and they would ask her, and this is new to me, what's the pain level? You don't have to be nice, just say it. She goes, it's a little better. If it was a 10, maybe eight, let's pray again. Again? You know, like, that's pretty good. Let's just say, no, let's go again. Nothing. You know, well, maybe a seven. Oh, it feels better. Now it's just a little bit. And hey, don't be nice. Just be honest. We're not doing the healing. God is. And it got all the way down to where she says, you know what? It's just this little sharp pain now. This is crazy. It's just this little sharp pain. I would say it went from a 10 to a two. And they're like, let's keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And honestly, I wasn't praying because I'm at the point where I'm like, maybe I messed things up. Seriously, this is what I'm thinking. I wonder if it's my lack of faith. I don't want to assume. Maybe I don't see it because whenever I'm in the room, it just won't happen. And then I just thought, that's a lie from the enemy. That is so unbiblical. Like, that doesn't make any sense biblically. That's my flesh. That's Satan. And I just was prompted to be the one after they prayed for a while to get on my knees at her feet and hold her toe and pray. And in my mind, I'm just saying, Lord, this is not out loud. Lord, I don't want her leaving here going, hmm, yeah, it feels better. God, make her scream. Make her just to where she can't contain like you moved, it is not emotion, power of the Holy Spirit. And when she just started going, no, no, look at this, look at this, you know, and just praising God and tears coming down her face. And then two of the guys said, we had talked before you got on your face and we both heard from the Lord that last two degrees of pain is gonna come from Francis get that faith in him. This is all new to me, okay? Of I'm not making any statements of theologically I've been off or this or that. I'm just saying what happened. I wanted to show that to you for a reason. Here was somebody after 30 years of ministry began to discover just how God works. It's a pastor internationally used of God. And yet he still had a learning curve. Guys, let's be, let's be humble enough to say maybe we've got a journey to go as well. We need to learn as well. We need to trust God as well. Now, I really want to just encourage you. I think God gave us the Bible so that this becomes our normative experience not what you've become used to. The Bible is there to activate our faith and to remind us of who God is. And I'm not saying we need to put God in a box, but we do need to move forward in trust and faith. And we need to start praying and saying as a church, God, we want to see you moving. 
so that peoples hear this, so that people get to know Jesus. Amen? Lesson number one. Here's lesson number two. Humility and servanthood. Excuse the spelling. I blame the computer. <clears throat> Are the true signs of greatness in the kingdom. So, Jesus is walking with his disciples on the way to Capernaum, and guess what? He hears them having an argument. And the argument they were having is the last argument you would ever expect the disciples of Jesus to be having. And you know what they're arguing about? Who's the greatest? And I can imagine uh, John sort of saying to the guys, well, you know, guys, I want to just let you into a secret. I'm the closest one to him. Like, I've got the ear of Jesus, like, better than all of you. Peter's probably saying, that's okay, but I can preach better than you can. Somebody else is probably saying, yeah, but look how the Lord uses me to heal. And people start comparing themselves. You know what I discovered when I was reading that? That's still happening in the church today. I, I have pastors talking to me, people talking to me and saying, you know what, I'm a better theologian or I'm a better preacher. I was speaking to somebody the other day and he was saying to me, you cannot believe what happens to some pastors when they're on stage in front of a crowd. They can't wait to have their slot. Look at Mark 9. Jesus asked him, what are you arguing about? And they kept quiet because they were arguing about who's the greatest. You know, I've realized why that happened. The reason that happened is in, just in the verses prior to that, and if hopefully they're up on the stage, verses 32, 32, Jesus is explaining to them about the fact that he's going to be crucified. He's telling them about the fact that, that he'll be handed over. And then Mark makes a profound statement as he's quoting Jesus, but they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. And here's the problem. The disciples' expectations all went wonky because they didn't understand what Jesus had come to do. They, they were expecting a Messiah who was going to rule and reign and overthrow Rome, and they wanted to talk about this, their being the greatest in that context. Let me tell you, Jesus was the servant who came to die so that men could be set free from the very thing they were talking about, self and self-importance. May I put it to you like this this morning? If the disciples of Jesus are going to continue with what he has called them to do, the mission that he's given them to do, they would also need to deal with any desire for status. They would need to deal with any desire to be in the limelight, any desire to take credit for what God was doing. And so what Jesus does in that moment, he does what every teacher did in those days, rabbis, he sat down. And he called the 12 and he said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be very last and the servant of all. 
And friends, you notice the disciples learn the lesson because the first miracle we read about in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 3 was that lame man at the temple and suddenly he's healed and the crowds come rushing. The scripture's not going to be up. The crowds come rushing to him, to them. And here's their response. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power and godliness we made this man to work? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. And you know what I discover? People were following Jesus because people's attention wasn't on men, it was on Jesus. What I've discovered, there's a beautiful thing that begins to happen when this thing of status and self-importance is dealt with. I notice straight away people begin to focus on Jesus. I notice straight away people are willing to serve other people because it's not about them. People are no longer concerned about who gets the credit and who gets the praise when God is using them. I don't want to stop here with this because I think this is a hugely important issue because Jesus uses two examples in Scripture to show us that when there is a culture of servanthood and humility, it becomes evident by what's happening. And it's evident in two ways. Number one, the way we treat those who are insignificant have no, and have no influence and status. That's how it becomes evident. Look what he does. Mark 9, 36, he took a little child. And he had them stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever does, uh, welcomes me does not welcome me, but he welcomes the one who sent me. And what Jesus does is something really important. He takes a child because a child was insignificant in those days. A child had no status. A child was of no importance to anybody. Maybe only just to their parents. And he says, if you welcome somebody like this, you are welcoming me. Do you get the point that Jesus is making? One of the qualities every disciple needs to develop. They need to be able to serve those who are forgotten and regarded as insignificant. They need to be able to accept and welcome those who, who have no title, no influence, no importance except to God. You know, the people we often see have got no importance are hugely important to God. That's why I said in Philippians, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. That's the one, the way we treat those that are deemed to be less than. The other one is, when there's a culture of humility and servanthood, we celebrate what other people are doing. We celebrate. The, listen, look what happens to John. He, he, he says, teacher, verse 38, uh, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. He's not a Baptist. <laughs> but John's intolerance of somebody else doing ministry in the name of Jesus was evidence of what was going on in his own heart. And I need to say to you this morning, God doesn't only work through the people we condone and meet our standards. He's using other people that are different from us as well. 
one of the amazing things about the Lord is that He does use people who like us. But then amazingly, He can use people who look different to us. Do you know that God can use somebody who looks a bit different to you? Do you know God uses people who've got different gifts to you? Do you know He uses people who've got different personalities to you? Friends, when is the church going to start celebrating what everybody's doing instead of just what we do? We need to be celebrating what God's doing in the church down the road there and what God's doing in the church down the road over there. We need to celebrate because it's for His glory. Paul had to write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3 and said, Are you still worldly? For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Servanthood and humility, true signs of greatness. Last lesson, let's come to it. A radical approach to sin. I've left out a part of that. It's a radical approach to sin in our own lives. You see, I've found it's easy to be radical about sin in somebody else's life. Have you noticed how we often talk about other people's sin? When did you last talk to somebody about yours? When did we last talk to one another about, do you know what I, where I'm messing up at the moment? And so Jesus, what he does is something very unusual. And I want to read to you what he says in verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better that they had a big millstone around their neck and they cast into the deepest ocean. What he was saying is this, and I want you to hear it. My sin affects other people. My sin affects other people. He said, if you want to help other people and really love one of other people, sort out your own stuff. That's what he's saying. Let's be honest. We are living in a culture where sin's being downplayed at the moment. Downplayed and renamed. Where my rights become more important than what's right. Where every man is doing what's right and every woman's doing what's right in their own eyes. And I think the only answer to that is we've got to be part of a community who celebrates what's right. Who upholds what is good, that stands together against ungodliness. And so Jesus goes on and he says, well, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Eyes causes you to sin, pluck it out. Foot, cut it off. And of course he wasn't being literal in that. Otherwise, a lot of us would be no feet, no hands, and no eyes at this morning. We wouldn't have made it. What he's saying is, though, have a radical approach to sin in your own life. And there, there are two things I want to touch on when it comes to us dealing with stuff in our own lives, because there's two dangers in that. The first is the danger of legalism. It's applying a law. It's trying to do things in your own strength. God never called us to be legalists. He called us to be spirit-filled people who live by the Spirit and reliance upon Him and that we are open to recognize what's gone wrong and when we're sinning, we are open 
to repent when there's sin. We are open to resist the devil, and we start replacing that with the good stuff that's meant to be in our lives. That's the legalism. But the other is another great concern. It's the opposite side of that. It's called licentiousness. It's when we start doing what we like. And it goes something like this. God is gracious. And God is super gracious. And God loves me. And God's kind. And God kind of understands that I'm going to mess up sometimes. Friends, if we are under grace, that gives us no license to do what we like. Paul, when he was discussing it, writing to the Romans, he said, why would you go back to that when we died to that stuff? It doesn't make sense. I think I'm about finished. Go to the next verse. Look at what Jesus says. Salt is good. But it's talking about us. Loses its saltiness. How can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Watch your lives. Be self-controlled and alert. I want to finish with three practical things. And I want to, for those who would like healing ministry this morning... We're going to have an opportunity to pray for you. And you're going to have the opportunity to pray for people because I'm trying to get this across. Church does not revolve around a pastor or an elder. It revolves around the body of Christ being obedient to Jesus and Him working through us. But three things. Number one, I believe we need to get integrated into a community of believers who are serious about their faith. I want to say that for this reason. I think if we get integrated into a community of believers who are not serious about their faith, we kind of take on the ethos of that group. We need to be people who are part of a group of people who are saying, we're pushing in, we're trusting God, we're going for this stuff, we believe in this stuff, because that's what the Bible speaks about. And I've found personally, and I have to say to you as a congregation, that when I've been in the space of mediocrity, I've become mediocre. And it's been wonderful to be part of a group of people that are pushing in and wanting to be obedient and go with God says, because you know what it's done for me? It's fired me up. It's made me alert to the stuff that I need to go for again. It's got me repenting. And it's got me stepping out in faith again. So we need to be part of a community like that. Second thing is this. Because the church is made up of disciples who are in different stages of the journey. Nobody's in the same place here. You're all in different places on the journey. You need to be learning from those who are going ahead of you. And people need to be learning from you where you are in your journey. You see, one of the things that we've got to learn about, this isn't just about me. We are part of a church here for a reason. You want to spot those and spend time with those who are ahead of you in the journey because they can teach you. But there are others who are behind you in that journey and are going to look to you and look to your life and to look to the way that you're doing things and will you be willing to teach them as well? Because that's how it works. One person cannot teach a whole church. We all need to be involved in that process. And there are things that different people are doing in this church which I'm not really good at. There are things I am good at and I have learned and I've gone the journey, but there are others that I haven't. And I need to go and sit at their feet in a sense and learn from them. And then the last thing is this. God what God is doing in your heart. 
so that God can still work through you. God's intention has always been, I will do, you will do the things that I have been doing so that the Father may be glorified. It's about all of us. We're all part of His church. We are all His sons and daughters. The Spirit lives in all of us. God has not said some are going to be better than others. He said, I want to work through the whole lot of you. Just find out where your groove is and go for it. And watch what the Lord will do. And I'm finished. Okay. Let me come back to what I started off with saying. This is a learning curve. When things don't go right, and when it doesn't quite work the way you thought, use that as an opportunity. Say, thank you, God. You're about to teach me. See, I believe in this book. I believe what he's written in this book. And therefore, if he said it, I need to just learn where I'm not getting it right so that I can get it right because I believe God is faithful to his word. And he wants to equip, equip me and train me. And there are a couple of lessons. The three that we've spoken about this morning, can you remember the first one is rely? And church, I want to say this to you. Let's start praying again. Yesterday morning, we pray on Saturday mornings. We are praying for a spirit of prayer to come back into the church. We are, we are trusting God that South Africa will be a country that's known for its prayer. Because you see, there are lots of things that we can be doing, but sometimes the thing we should be doing is being overlooked. Let's call on the name of the Lord again. That's number one, relying on God. The second one is that humility and servanthood. I think that's a huge thing. We're a very individualistic, me-focused society at the moment. And church, we yet to break that stuff. We only want one person to get glory, that's him. And when we do that, he does get the glory, and he will get the glory. And the last thing, watch your own heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Watch over your life. Rather be salt than a stumbling block. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's pray, and then if you want prayer for healing, we're going to do that. So I'm going to ask you, just let me give you a heads up before we go that. So if you want prayer for healing, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. I'm going to invite those who are going to, in the congregation who want you to be praying for one another. So I'm going to deliberately not do that because I want you, the body, to do that. Uh, what I will do 